Christmas is just a fun time of the year. It's one of my favorite times because I find myself to be a little nostalgic. I'm not sure about you, but Christmas time comes in and I, I, I love the traditions. I love thinking of all the fun things you do as a family. You know, we've did, you know, we went and got the Christmas tree this week and we decorated it and, and we've got some other traditions coming in front of us this week. We're going to go and look at the Christmas lights and, and I love all of the traditions from Christmas. And it makes me think back to my childhood and I think back to all the fun things we used to do. But what I find when I think back to my childhood, I, I, I think back more towards my life, to the way I used to be. And I think, as I think back in my life, I think even back in the, the earlier parts of our marriage when we were just married. One of the things that I loved about myself is I was very free. Like, I didn't care what people thought of me. And so I would do whatever I needed to do to connect with somebody. And if somebody was discouraged, then I didn't care what anybody else thought of me. I would just focus my attention on this person and do whatever I could to make this person feel unique and special. In fact, I remember when my wife and I were dating. Uh, it must have been Christmas time. Maybe it wasn't. We were at the Nordstrom's. You remember the old Nordstrom's building right here, actually next to our office? And... We're out and we're, we're doing some shopping. And I said, you know, I need to make this girl laugh, you know, because if you can make a girl laugh, there's a good chance she's going to fall in love with you. And so I, we're out shopping. I, I didn't ask to tell the story. I'm sorry. And there was an upstairs and we're coming down the stairs and I'm like, I'm totally going to fall down these stairs. I'm totally going to fall down these stairs. It'll be hilarious. And she'll laugh. And so I'm going down the stairs and I trip over myself and I tumble down the stairs and make this big old scene. And I look back with a smile on my face and she's not there. I'm like, where'd she go? And she had ducked inside of like one of the rounders and hiding behind all the, the clothes. <laughs> she, she, she did fall in love with me. And I, and I think, I think, you know, I actually remember one of the things we were, I was talking to my wife and she says, you know, Kevin, one of the things I love about you, about you the most is especially with kids, you just get there and you give all your attention. You make them feel special. So I remember just being younger in, and I had this idea, you know, I'm just going to connect with people. And I was spontaneous and I felt free of people's opinions and I could just be free to live and to move and to breathe. And it was great. But then something happened. Then something happened because sometimes when you live spontaneous, when you live free, sometimes other people don't like that. And pretty soon you hear their comments about you. And some of those comments would get into my head and I would hear what people say about me. Haters going to hate, 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 hate. That's a Taylor Swift reference for some of you there. And all of a sudden, I didn't feel so free. I didn't feel so spontaneous because of other people's opinions that started mattering. Some people would say, maybe you just grew up a little bit. Maybe you matured. Or maybe the reality of it is other people's opinions started beating me down, started making me not feel as free and spontaneous as I once used to be. What about you? When you were younger, what is it that you wanted to be like? What is the one characteristic that you're like, man, this is awesome. This is what I want to be. What was that thing? What did you dream about when you were younger? That as you grow up, maybe it's other people's opinions. Maybe it's, it's, it's life. You begin to change. You're no longer idealistic. 
No longer spontaneous. No longer free as you once were. Maybe, maybe you wanted to be somebody who was so sure what they wanted to do in life. They wanted to, to, to reach people, to, to impact people. Maybe that was you. Maybe, maybe you would say, man, I, I used to have a really good marriage. Maybe you would say, you know, I used to be in control of everything. But then maybe for you, maybe life sped up. And you have a hard time keeping up like you once did. Or maybe for you, maybe life slowed down and you're in a new pace of life and struggling to have that same kind of passion, the same kind of freedom that you once experienced. And now you find yourself, you're, you're pursuing something that you want so badly, but you just can't seem to ever have it. I think we would say we all want peace in our lives. We want that peace to be free and to be, be sure of who we are. We, want, we, we, we need that peace. But when our life is so full of uncertainty, it's hard to really embrace peace. And we wonder things like this. We wonder, is there actually a job out there that will be fulfilling? Am I really going to be a good parent Will this be the year that things will turn around? Will I be able to get this debt paid off? Can our marriage be saved? Will I be able to find friends here? And this is the uncertainty that clouds our life. And when we should be free and have that peace, instead we're clouded with the uncertainty. And we get to Christmas time. And this is what we say. We say, hey, it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. Don't be so, don't be so pessimistic. Don't be so Scrooge-like. Things will turn around. This is the season of glad tidings, of comfort, of joy, of peace on earth and goodwill to men. This is what the, the season promises. We think about the song. We think about the song. It says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on on earth, good will to men. I think most of us would be in here today and we would say, we want peace. We need peace. But how do we find peace when there's so much uncertainty all around us? Today, we're going to talk about peace. We're going to talk about how we can find peace despite the things around us that make us so uncertain. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Micah chapter 5. The book of Micah chapter 5. Micah is one of the minor prophets. It's actually the 33rd book of your Bible. It's one of those that you could easily flip through your Bible and miss. So if you're looking and saying, well, where's the book of Micah? There's a really cool thing that we have in the Bible. It's called a table of contents on your first couple of pages. And that'll tell you exactly where the book of Micah is. Right after Jonah. So... This Christmas, this December, we're spending time looking at not our normal Christmas passages. Normally when we think about Christmas, we think about Matthew chapter 2, and we think about Luke chapter 2, and those are kind of the, the Christmas passages. But this year we're, we're in a series called Vintage Christmas, where we're going to look to the Old Testament, to get the Old Testament's portrayal and prophecies towards what Christmas is going to look like. And so today, like I said, we're in the book of Micah. 
And when we understand Micah, when we understand the context of which he wrote his book, we'll realize that he is a dude who is absolutely qualified to speak to us about having peace in the midst of uncertainty. Micah was a prophet in the southern kingdom of of Israel. Israel, at this point, was a divided kingdom. There was a north kingdom that was called Israel, and there was a southern kingdom that was called Judah. And and during Micah's ministry, the northern kingdom of Israel is going to be conquered and taken captive by the Assyrians. This is the uncertainty in which he wrote in. Micah was from a rural town about 20 20 miles uh, outside of Jerusalem, a farming town. And he had seen much of the oppression and suffering across Israel. And he believed that the leadership within Israel would not be redeemed. He realized this is what's happening. Our, our country is going to be invaded and taken captive. In fact, verse 1 really lays out that context of what Micah is writing about. Micah is going to prophesy and predict that the Assyrians are going to come in and later the Babylonians are going to come in and take Israel captive. So here's what he says in verse 1. He says, Now muster your troops, O daughter, O troops. Siege is laid against us. This is a battle cry. Micah is saying, Judah, get ready. Get ready. The enemy is coming. The enemy is is coming for Israel, and they're coming for us. Be ready for war. But Micah knows the impotency of Judah's leadership, of Israel's leadership. So here's what he says is going to happen next in verse 1. He says, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. See, I don't think there's anything more demeaning or humiliating than a backhanded slap to a ruler. I mean, I don't care if you're a, a Democrat or Republican or Independent or, or Whig Party. I don't care whatever you are. If President Obama gets slapped by anyone other than Michelle, that's a big problem. That's an embarrassment, a slight on every one of us. You can imagine the humiliation that our country would feel if that happened. But this is the reality for what Micah is writing. And this is, this is a circumstance for Israel due to their unfaithfulness to God. It's in this context of difficulty, of trouble, of hardship, that Micah dreamed about the good old days. Dreamed about the good old days when David was king. When the country was unified. When, when, when God was on their side. When they were, were strong as a country. He's remembering these good old days and he's longing, man, what if we were back then? And that's when God gave Micah a new message. A message that spoke of a new beginning. A message that predicted a savior, a promised Messiah who would come and who would restore unity, who would restore peace to Israel. And we're going to see in this passage, Micah is going to speak about the savior of, of Christmas. And this Savior, we will learn that that is where peace that we so longingly, longingly want, that's where it comes from. So if you have a Bible, we're in Micah chapter 2, and I'm just going to read uh, verses, excuse me, Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 2 through 5. You can follow along in your Bible, or it's also on the screen. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth 
For me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And verse 5 says, and he shall be their peace. That is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, we're just thankful for the opportunity to open up your word that, God, you would speak to us. God, who are we that you would love us enough that you would speak to us, that you would send your Savior for us? And God, as we think about just our world, when we think about the uncertainty in which we live in and we experience day to day, God, I pray that you would would speak to us today, that we would learn about peace, that we would learn about the hope of Christmas, the Savior of Christmas. God, I pray that we would see where peace comes from. That, God, we could be a people that despite our circumstances, despite whatever's happening around us, that we could be secure in you and we could have your peace. So, God, we pray right now that you help us to lean in, that you would teach us and draw us close to you, God. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So Micah's message, Micah's message is about a Savior, a man from ancient of days who will not only do wonders for Israel, but for the whole world. And we need to be clear about who this Savior is. This Savior is not Muhammad. The Savior is not Joseph Smith. The Savior is not Pope Francis. The Savior is not the Easter Bunny. He's not Santa Claus. He's not even Russell Wilson, as good as Russell Wilson is. The Savior is directly related to the Christmas story. Because if we think back to the Christmas story, we think about, you know, you've got the angels and you've got the shepherds. And who's who's the other people that are in your nativity? You've got Mary and Joseph, the animals. Who's the other people in the nativity? The wise men. Yes, the Magi. These are the people who came from the east. They saw the star in the sky and they followed the star. And they came to Israel, to Jerusalem. And they said, King Herod, hey, where is he who's born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And King Herod calls together the chief priests and the religious leaders. And he asks this question. Hey, where is this newborn king supposed to be? And this is what, this is what they tell him. Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. The reply says, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Israel, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Those religious leaders of those days, they knew that the Savior that Micah was prophesying about 700 years before, they knew that it was Jesus who was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they told, they told Herod, hey, born in Bethlehem, that's where he's at. That is why God saw to it that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, even though his mother Mary and his stepdad Jesus lived in Jerusalem. That's where they were from. But God saw to it that Jesus was born in Bethlehem so that the scripture would be fulfilled in him. One of the other things we've got to make sure we understand is 
is verse 4 said that this Messiah is going to be great to the ends of the earth. The Savior is not just to be the Savior over Israel. He's not just a, a tribal king over the small group, but he is to be Savior throughout the entire world. That means that he is a savior for Israel, just like he's a savior for you and I and everyone else across the world who will put their faith in him. So Micah, this is his message. This is his message. In the midst of all the turmoil and and the difficulty around him, he's going to describe a few things about this savior and about what the savior is going to do. First thing that Micah is going to tell us about the savior the Savior of Christmas, is that the Savior of Christmas comes from the most insignificant place. This Savior is going to come from a place that nobody would expect, from a place that nobody would look for a king. Here's what Micah says in verse 2. He says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth Uh, For me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient of days. Out of all the the clans of Israel, out of all the the towns and and, and the tribes, Bethlehem is scarcely even being worth being mentioned because they're so small and tiny. Yet God chooses to bring the magnificent Messiah out of this insignificant little town called Bethlehem. And we would say, well, why? Why would God choose Bethlehem? I mean, why would God choose Bethlehem out of all the towns he could have chosen? And we think back to, well, what about King David? We think about King David. We just got done uh, through a sermon series on King David. We know King David to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. We know King David to be a man after God's own heart. So, again, Micah's longing for the days of old. And maybe God says, come from um, Bethlehem. That will remind us of King David. But that's not what the verse says. The verse says very clearly, God chooses Bethlehem because it is small, it is quiet, it is out of the way, it is unexpected. And God does something. God does something there that forever changes the course of history and eternity. This is the way that God works. God chooses the the small and insignificant things So that there can be no boasting in the merits and the achievements of men, but only a boasting in the mercy of God alone. I mean, if if God had brought the Savior from one of the other cities, if God brought the Savior from Jerusalem, uh, the, the, the righteous city, the city of God, I mean, the people would have said, well, of course God chose our city. Of course God chose our city. We're the best city. We're, we're the religious and we've got the best universities. We've got, we've got high class people. We've got, we've got everything that would give to, to having a righteous and a good king. See, when we look for leaders, we look for the most qualified. We look for the ones with the best pedigree, with the best history, with the multiple degrees on the wall. That's what we look for in a leader. But God, in choosing Bethlehem for the Savior... He takes the attention off of Bethlehem and places the attention on his mercy and on his grace. See, God is not impressed with our bigness and our greatness and our accomplishments. He does everything to magnify himself. The Apostle Paul put it this way uh, to the book of the 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
It says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring about things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It says in verse 31, As it is written, let, and let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the way God operates. He chooses the, the small and insignificant to bring about the significant. I mean, when you look at the Christmas story, it's the same picture time and time again. Pastor John Piper pointed this out, and it's so true. I mean, when we look at Jesus, we know Jesus was born in an insignificant stable. Just a stable. Imagine, imagine if Jesus was born in one of the inns. Imagine if Jesus is born, and it's this great inn, this great hotel. Imagine the innkeeper. He would say, well, of course God chose my inn to be born. Because it's the greatest comfort in the world. Everybody should come here. Can you imagine the boasting that would come from that innkeeper? What about, what about, what about we know Jesus was laid in a manger? That's a, that's a feeding trough for animals. Imagine if Jesus was laid in some fancy bed, in some fancy crib. The crib maker would say, man, of course he chose my crib. Because it's like the, it's top of the line Walmart special. You know, it's, it's high class, it's high quality. Of course he chose my crib. God chose Bethlehem for Jesus to be born so that nobody could boast that it's the greatness of our city, it's the greatness of us, that God chose our city for the Savior to be born. And see, if we take this same message about Bethlehem and we put it, right here onto you and to I. And we look, well, how does this apply for us? See, God does not look to give his blessings. God does not look to give the blessing of salvation to us on the basis of our greatness, on the basis of our achievement, even on the basis of our potential. God does not choose cities and leaders and people based on our prominence, based on our intelligence, based on our awesomeness. God chooses cities, and God chooses men, and God chooses women who are humble, who deflect all of the glory to God's grace and mercy, not their own strength and pride. That is why when we look at the Christmas story, those angels that came singing, this is their song. They sing, glory to God in the highest, not glory to us. It's glory to God. We get the joy, and he gets the glory. Second thing that Mike is going to teach us about the Savior is the Savior promises us unity. It says in verse 3, he says, Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who was in labor has given birth. Then the rest of my brothers shall return to the people of Israel. This verse here is a reference to the exile of the northern tribes uh, that had already been taken captive. God has allowed them to be deported into Assyria as a punishment for their sins. But here's the thing. That punishment is not going to last long. Because when that woman who's going to give birth to the Savior, when, when, when she gives birth to the Savior, this new ruler will restore the brethren. He will bring Israel back together within the land. Now, if we take this idea, and again, 
we, we, we take the same principle and apply it to us. With Jesus as our Messiah. Listen, do you know where true unity comes from? True unity, it doesn't come from Donald Trump or, or Hillary Clinton. It doesn't come from Ben Carson or Bernie Sanders. It doesn't come from the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl. None of that will bring us true unity. There's only one thing that unifies any group of people together, and that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is why, that is why I am so excited, so, so awesome to be a part of a church like this that desires economic and ethnic diversity within our church. Because this shouldn't happen. This sort of thing shouldn't happen. I mean, why? We've got people from all different walks of life, different ethnicities, different economic backgrounds. There should be no reason for us to come together and hang out on a Sunday morning together. There should be no reason for us to be together and have life groups and live life together. I mean, we have nothing in common. Why should we be here together? And this is what God would say. We have one reason. The only one thing that truly unifies people, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that we are all sinners and we all come to God in the same way. We come to him broken and God saves us because we all have nothing to offer him. That is the thing that unifies any of us together. This is where unity comes from. This is why it's awesome to be a part of a church that says we're going to unify not under our economic background, not under our social status, but under the banner of Jesus Christ. You know how powerful that is to the world around us? They all long for unity. Our world longs for unity. The only true unity is found right here under the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why when you start looking around, the people around you probably don't have the same story as you. The people around you, you might say, hey, I have nothing in common with you other than the fact that we've come to Jesus as our Savior. So we are unified under the banner of Jesus Christ. And that has to be what we cling to together. That has to be what we belong together because of the gospel. And I would even dare say that we become better together when we commit to living life alongside each other under the banner of Jesus Christ. I would say that we are better together when we do that. One more thing about this idea of unity. I know some of you have some broken relationships in your family, in your friends. There's some dysfunction in those relationships, and it becomes especially hard at this time of the year. We look at the Christmas celebration and the family, and when there's dysfunction within those relationships, that becomes difficult. I want you to know, I believe that God is able to bring peace to those relationships. I believe that God can bring peace and, and, and unity even to the most dysfunctional of relationships. Let me tell you, though, you're not going to find the answer to peace and unity in those relationships from Facebook. You're not going to find it from some great article that you read uh, in your email inbox. You're not going to find it from watching Oprah or Dr. Phil or reading any sort of book. No. You're going to find it specifically by practicing the gospel, by living out the gospel. See, here's, here's how you practice the gospel. Here's how you live it out. You might have been violated. Somebody might have done something completely wrong to you, and it is all their fault. Listen, God initiated grace for us 
when it was our fault. God initiated that grace. He didn't wait for us to come and apologize and for us to come and try and make things right. God initiated by sending his son to the cross first and foremost. So we practice the gospel and live it out by extending grace to the other person even when they don't deserve it. This is the message of the gospel. This is a message of what we are supposed to live. I know it's hard to do. I know it's difficult. I've been violated. What about my rights? But listen, if we're receivers of the gospel, receivers of God's forgiveness, he makes it clear that just as we receive his forgiveness, just as we receive his grace, that we are to share that same grace and forgiveness with others. See, I I believe in a God who restores. I believe in a God who brings peace and unity out of dysfunction. And I think some of us in here, we need to take that first step and pick up the phone. Third thing we're going to learn about our Savior from the book of Micah. The Savior of Christmas, he provides protection. Look what he says in verse 4. It says that he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Listen to the promises of protection that Micah gives us about the Savior. First, he says that that the Savior will stand. See that? He says he will stand. He won't lie around waiting for us to serve him. No, that Savior is on his toes. He's alert. He's working for those who will trust him as their Savior. He's not just idly standing back waiting to see what's going to happen. No, he's on his feet. He's standing. He's ready to go to battle for you and I. Second thing it says, it says he will shepherd his flock. He will shepherd his flock. But think about what a shepherd does. What does it mean to shepherd a flock? A shepherd is going to, to feed his flock. A shepherd is going to to lead his flock. He's going to protect his flock. And this is what Mike is saying. This new leader, he is going to to do these things for us. He's going to shepherd us. He's going to lead us. He's going to feed us. He's going to protect us. He, this new savior will lead us beside green waters, beside still waters, green pastures and still waters. There will be no unmet, unmet need when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. Third thing Micah says, protection, third thing that verse says, is it says that he will serve us in the strength of the Lord, the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. See, sometimes we have good intentions. Sometimes we have good intentions for people, but then we get tired. It just happens. We get tired of we can no longer go to war for them. And this is what it says, his good intentions for us, will not be hindered by his lack of strength because he's standing and he's shepherding shepherding us in God's strength. The strength of God, that's an omnipotent strength. That's a never-ending strength. That's a strength that never has any uh, conclusion to it. Therefore, if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, the never-ending strength of God is on your side. And what we have to do is walk walk alongside and trust Jesus as our shepherd. And he will overcome every obstacle 
to your purification and to your joy forever. Fourth thing we notice about his protection is it says that he shall be great to the ends of the earth. There's no trial. There's no trouble. There's no difficulty. There's no circumstance that can withstand the power of our Savior. Our security and our peace, they can't be threatened by any outside force because this Savior reigns greatly to the ends of the earth. There's nowhere that his dominion doesn't cover. And finally, the last thing that the Savior of Christmas, that Mike is going to teach us, is the Savior of Christmas is our peace. He is our peace. Micah gives us a promise, a final peace. It says in verse 5, And he shall be our peace. Just hear that again. He shall be our peace. One day, that ruler, the king of kings, the lord of lords, he will return and make this a reality. And oh, what a glorious day that is going to be. But there's something I I, I don't want you to miss in this. Because I want you to notice exactly what Micah says and what he doesn't say. He, He doesn't say that the Savior will give us peace. Micah doesn't say that he'll bring peace into your life. No, what Micah says is our Savior is our peace. He's not going to give you peace. He's not going to, he's not going to, he, he is your peace. Listen, our world will tell us that our peace is tied to our circumstances. You know, our, if, 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 if our circumstances are just right, if there is no hardship, if there is no debt, if there is no problems in life, then that is where we find peace. That's what our world would tell us. And so we begin to, to, to think about those things. And we think, man, if I just had, uh, you know, all these things happen, then I would be, uh, and I would have peace. Micah and Israel, you've got to remember the context in which Micah is writing this in. They were times full of uncertainty and, and difficulty. They were being invaded and taken captive. And Micah says that this Savior offers peace not in their circumstances but in the Savior himself. Of course, we know that our Savior goes to battle for us. We know that he'll work for our unity. We know that he'll protect us and he'll provide for us. But our peace isn't found in those things. Our peace is found in him and him alone. This is a whole different kind of peace. This is a peace that passes all understanding. This is the kind of peace that makes people strong. This is the kind of peace that when the world is falling apart all around us, our faith in God can still be unshaken. That we can have a strong assurance that God is good and God is working things out for his glory and for our joy. That's the kind of peace that we get when Jesus is our peace and not our circumstances. The question is, what are we supposed to do with this? Micah has just given us this this great picture of the Savior of Christmas and how our Savior is actually our peace. So what are we supposed to do with this? How do we apply this to our lives? So let me just ask you a couple of questions. The goal is some honesty here. The goal is that you could look in your own heart and be honest with these 
questions. What is it you truly believe will give you peace? When you just get honest between you and God, what is that thing that you think will give you peace? Don't give me the standard church answer because you know what I'm looking for. What is it you are really longing for? What is on your Christmas list? And hope that it will give you peace. Is it a fulfilling job? Financial security? Are you thinking, man, if I could just find love, then I'd be at peace. Man, if I just had family unity, if we could fix the problems in our family, that would be good. Man, if I just had, if, if I just had friends, then I'd have peace. Man, if I just had status, maybe you think if I just could go on a Caribbean cruise, then I'd have great peace. We've been misled by our culture to believe that these things will give us peace. But those things are just a mirage. They're a crappy substitute to the real thing. Real peace isn't found in a circumstance. It's found in a, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the peace that withstands all circumstances and helps us to endure to the end, knowing that God is fighting on our side for his glory and for our joy. Our peace, we've got to change that Christmas list and, and etch out that Caribbean cruise, although that really does sound pretty awesome right now. And we've we got to cross out, you know, if I just had love, that would bring me peace. i got to cross out if I just had financial security, that would bring me peace. And we need to write on that Christmas list. If I just had Jesus, if I just had Jesus, that becomes a, a peace that can withstand all of life. That can give us hope and joy in the midst of anything that happens to us. The thing is, are we actually going to pursue Jesus? Because I tell you what, as I pursue Jesus, as I lean into him and say, man, he's my peace. You know what happens? The little boy inside of me that wanted to be free, that didn't care what people thought. When Jesus is my peace, that little boy comes alive again. That little boy comes alive again. And pretty soon, those voices, those haters, they're going to hate, 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 hate. Their voices become softer and softer and softer. And that freedom to live and to move and to breathe begins to come back up. And it leads to me standing in front of you wearing an ugly sweater. And it leads to me not caring about what people think and saying, God, I just want to be used by you. God, I want you to do something with me. And that's what peace does. That's what the peace of Jesus does for us. So this morning, this morning, we don't say glory to us. No, we say glory to God and the highest and peace among those on whom he is pleased. Do you bow your heads with me? God, you are so good. God, your grace is so overwhelming. God, the fact that you would love us, that God, despite our world, 
Despite San Bernardino shootings, despite financial insecurity, despite turmoil around us, God, that you would send your son Jesus as our Savior. A Savior that comes to bring unity. A Savior that comes to protect us. A Savior that comes to do battle for us. And a Savior that doesn't just offer us peace, but is our peace. God, how much I want for us to live in this way. That we could be free to live and to move and to breathe. That we would experience your peace. God, I pray during this holiday season, God, I pray that we would be real with what our wants and desires and wishes are. That we'd be real with what we think will bring us peace. And that we would change our desires. Instead of thinking, man, this, this thing will give me peace, I pray that we would look and say, Jesus, you're the one I want. Jesus, you're the one that I want. I want that peace. I want to be strong. I want to live for you. I want to feel that freedom that I once felt. I want to dream that dream that I once dreamed. That I could be free to serve you. To be used by you. To do great things for you. Not because I'm great. Not because I have so much to offer. But because, God, I'm, I'm humble. Because, God, I'm just offering myself up to you. God, that is my prayer for every one of us in here today. That we would look to you for our peace. That we would say, God, today, today I come in before you and I am humbling myself. Saying, God, I'm sorry I've sought all these other things. I thought they would satisfy me. God, I know the only thing that will satisfy me and give me peace is you. God, my prayer is that if there are any of those in here today who have not trusted Jesus as their Savior, that today they would cry out to you and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for all the times that I've turned against you. But God, today I'm humbling myself before you. I'm repenting of my sin. I'm asking you, God, Jesus, would you be my Savior today? And God, I pray, if that's their prayer, that God, you would give them a peace that they've never experienced before. A peace of knowing that they are made right with you. A peace of knowing that no matter what's going on in their life, that God, you are working on their behalf. That you are working for their joy, for your glory. God, I pray that we be a people of peace and joy throughout this Christmas season. That as we stand in your peace of knowing that you are the answer, that God, we'd be a people that people would look to and say, man, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you have such peace in times of uncertainty? And we would tell where the answer comes from. It doesn't come from a special coffee, a special pill. It comes from Jesus, our Savior. God, I pray now that we'd have the opportunity to respond to your word today. That, God, we would praise you for being our Savior. But, God, even now, we would cry out to say, God, God, this is a hard time. God, I'm feeling the uncertainty all around me. I'm feeling that turmoil. I know there are some in here today that just need to pray and say, God, God, I'm turning to you for my peace. God, I need to experience that peace today. My prayer for those in here today that are feeling that turmoil, that they would take this next couple of minutes and just sit in their seat 
and pray and say, God, I need your peace now. God, would you give me your peace? Could I experience Jesus in my life? Because that's what I need. To be reminded that peace doesn't come from my circumstance. It comes from my Savior. And I pray that those that can experience that peace, that can walk in that peace, that today that they would stand up and just be able to praise you for who you are because you are worthy of all of our praise and glory and honor. God, you are such a good God. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for that peace that he offers in himself. And I pray that we would look to him for our peace. God, we love you. We praise you. And we ask this in your holy name. Amen.